Hello and welcome to another episode of Health Points Podcast with me, Pete Jenkins, and my co-host Ben Wilkins. Hey everyone. Today on the episode we have Kirsten. Kirsten has a PhD in gamification and is the co-founder and chief executive for PentaQuest. And PentaQuest applies the principles of gamification to create high-performing organizations through increasing employee engagement. She's a TED Talk speaker presenting on the role of gamification in nudging collective behavior. And she's recognized as one of the world's leading figures in gamification and behavior science. Kirsten, it's great to have you on the show today. Thank you for having me. Right. Uh, it would be great to start about uh, if you could tell us about your background and how you ended up pioneering in the role of gamification. Yeah, sure. So I was always really interested in people and business, and that's what I studied at uni. So um, psychology degree and a business degree. And I always had people kind of say psychology and business. That's a weird combination. And I just thought, is it really that weird or is does it make the most perfect sense in the world? So really I just pursued those interests. Um, I then uh, worked um, for a design thinking firm, so management um, uh, and business consulting. And I was always like looking for a way of how do you kind of combine psychology with business? On a personal note, I have also uh, represented Australia in Taekwondo. And so for coming from this elite sports background, I was always looking for ways of like, how do I hack my own behavior and my own performance? How can I make sure that I'm as motivated as I can be it would I have to get up at 5am and run outside on a cold dark Canberra morning because I wasn't always going to be equally motivated so I was like well how can I set up my environment to hack my own motivation so that was always in the back of my mind um, and then I came across gamification and it was like a light bulb went off it was like wow this is it this is how you connect individual psychology with the business environment um, and I just started using my colleagues as guinea pigs, basically, um, just uh, started very much with a analog gamification, you know, pen and paper, cut out all the badges and different things um, and implemented that with my colleagues and just saw some really good results right away. And I was like, my goodness, like, what is this thing? And so I became so curious. That's why I started my PhD in gamification. Um, and then along the way had um, clients of, of that workplace say, this is fantastic. I need this. Can you help me with my team? And I said, sure. Uh, and so from there, Pentecost was born. Brilliant journey. So it's really interesting to, to kind of speak beforehand and understand how you view the role of gamification, not around the wider role of health systems and public health, but clearly around employees, their health, um, occupational health. Now, we know the stats that working days lost around the world because of things like coughs and colds, mental health, back pain is huge. The economic cost is gigantic. So what have you been looking at in terms of using gamification to turn the tides of the rising numbers of sick leave uh, in the workplace? Yeah. So Pentaquest focuses on helping organizations thrive, um, you know, thrive being the health of an organization of a team. Now, that can be quite broad. Um, and we... We work with clients that have all sorts of different definitions of what that looks like. Um, so for some, it might be looking at how do we uh, increase motivation and engagement. For some, it could be about culture, like the health of culture, making sure people are feeling supported, accepted and you know, included. Um, and it can be also around performance, whether it be sales or other performance or other um, sort of KPIs around that. So we, we, we look at quite a broad scope. 
the health um, aspect in particular, um, we've seen a really big increase, particularly since 2020, because I think the importance of people within your, within business has really been brought to the forefront, which is excellent because it kind of always should have been the case, but it's, it's really good that that's sort of pushed that forward. So we're seeing a lot of focus on social well-being, taking time out, checking in with each other um, and, and all the well-being that comes with that. Um, so that's been a really good shift that we've seen in the last um, you know, 12 to 18 months. So if you've seen that as a, a shift into how people relate and support each other online, particularly? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because everyone's, you know, everyone's on the Zoom and the, and the Remo now. So um, that, that's good as well. I think it's shaken up the way that leaders thought about how they manage their team's well-being and the fact that digital ways of doing that are legitimate and, and obviously necessary, um, you know, which is the case as well, you know, increasingly um you know, teams in different time zones and things like that. But I think before that, there was quite a traditional approach to, well, we're going to have, you know, people getting together and feeling accepted. It's got to be face-to-face. You're like, well, actually, it doesn't have to be. There's definitely benefits to it, but also it can be done online. Um, and linked with that as well, I've, I've seen an increase in openness to things like gamification from business leaders, which is which is really encouraging. That's really interesting. So how's that seen? How's that come across, that openness to gamification? I want to ask for it or yeah yeah they do absolutely so so that's definitely one where where they're deliberately looking for playful fun gamified approaches to managing their teams uh whereas before it felt like you know they were looking to do something different but hadn't heard of the term of gamification or very often they'd say oh Kirsten did you make that term up and it's like no I didn't make it up um whereas now people are are specifically I mean even a few years ago people did it but a lot more people are now specifically saying I want to add a bit of play. I want to add a bit of fun into the way that we manage our teams. Um, I'm not sure whether that's because people were in lockdown and just had to play more games with their kids or or what, but there, there seems to be um, a, a shift to more openness. So we've got more, more people asking for it um, and different types of people, including a lot more traditional uh, uh, organisations. With this real shift of uh, new way of working and we're all online, pretty much all of your requests now to look at digital solutions, or are you still having analog options uh, requested as well to look at gamification? Yeah, um, there's fewer requests for for analog. Um, Analog can absolutely still be really effective um, and it can be appropriate. Um, I think it just depends on on the type of organisation. Because organisations are now all using MS Teams and things like that, they actually are looking for more digital ways of doing that. Um, I'm still a really big fan of analog as well, definitely has a place. Um, and I think it's just the the, the scalability that, that's a challenge where, where there is a preference for, for digital solutions. In its simplest form, I know so many of my friends and colleagues that have had uh, virtual socials through work online now, admittedly not applying gamification to creating behaviors, but games being a a pivotal part of socializing with remote teams. Mm. Um, The game Among Us, I know, was used by so many people as a Christmas party uh, event last year um, because it was free, it was accessible, and you can have groups of 10 kind of come join to do almost murder mystery. 
Where are you seeing the application of gamification? What are the kind of examples you've seen or you're working on? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so again, because we specifically work with teams and organizations, so that's sort of quite a, a little bit more of a narrow um, sort of application of, of, of what you're speaking about. Um, I think that's a really great example where people are going, well, we want to interact and, you know, maybe previously we'd go have drinks at a, you know, at a bar, we'd sit around a table and now we need a way to do that virtually. So um, you know, there's, and there's, like I said, there's heaps of um, free examples and, and people doing that. We do that internally with our PentaQuest team as well. We've got, you know, team members around Australia and around the world. Um, and and that's how we, we connect. You know, whenever we've got a team birthday, I've got mine coming up. So we've got a, you know, a, a virtual um, board uh, board game or, you know, um, different game that, that we play, um, which is really fantastic. And there's also other creative things as well, you know, whether it be, you know, what are they called? Um, Pinot and Paint and these sorts of other, other creative uh, ways to come together, which are all which are all a lot more playful. So rather than just sitting and talking, um, and you know, you, you would have heard of examples of like, you know, wear a funny hat to Zoom day or something. And you know, some of them may be a little bit kitschy, but I think it, it still speaks to the fact that people are, are embracing more playful approaches of, of, of interacting. I don't know if you see it happening uh, where you're in Australia, but in the UK, I'd say in the last five years, uh, and even since the pandemic, I've seen new ones set up, a lot more drinking venues, bars that have games attached to them, whether it's mini golf, whether it's a shuffleboard, whether it's kind of massive video arcades and racing car tracks. With this real shift in real life that games are a really important part of socializing because the idea of going to a pub or going to a bar or anywhere to get a drink and being in this social situation where you have to talk about yourself mm. to talk about other people when actually sometimes people don't want to necessarily open up about themselves games create a level playing field where you can interact and create bonds and trust and understanding with people about having those conversations and it makes complete sense that there's been this, an explosion online now for the same opportunity to happen in person in games as online games between teams. Do you think that it, we're avoiding some of the conversations that we should be having as teams because the games become the focus of interaction rather than actual meaningful conversation? Or do you think games are just truly facilitating those meaningful conversations to happen later on? That's a really interesting question. Um, and, and I think it's always worth looking at the consequences of, of leaning in or, or, or leaning out of, of whatever technology, whether it's games or, or, or things like that. Um, and yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm seeing a lot more, a lot more um, bars and things having games, um, which I, I think is really fun. Um, so, you know, in Canberra, we have a few as well. And even if you look at things like escape rooms, you know, that's a game that we, that we play together and there's, there's heaps of those. Um, it might be too early to, to answer that, that question or to see if games are um, kind of stopping the conversation. I actually haven't seen that yet. Uh, and I'd, I would probably say, I don't know, I, I, would, I would assume that it's not going to be the case. And the reason is because I feel like games that, you know, you can flip with the play switch, right? You know, we can be quite formal and we can feel quite sort of guarded. But as soon as we're playing games, our inner child comes out, we start getting, you know, competitive or, you know, having fun and, and, and really, you know, um, getting into it. And I think that that actually facilitates social bonding. It facilitates having fun, you know, all of these sorts of things. So, uh, you know, I, I'm a big uh, believer in, in games for that. And I think if you have that bonding, it actually might even allow for those deeper conversations because we've, we're feeling safe, we're feeling bonded, and so you can actually have those conversations. Um, but that's just a hypothesis. We'll, we'll have to wait and see, I suppose. <laughs> no, I think you're right, Kirsten, because I, I see it becoming more inclusive. So, mm. for instance, I run the gamification conference every year and we have an after party and every after party we've held in one of these games bars and one of yes. the things I've noticed is there's quite a few people these days who don't drink 
Yes. But they still like coming to this and they feel engaged. And the game is now the glue that enables them to open up, like you're saying. Whereas I yes. think particularly in countries like the UK, we use the alcohol to, <laughs> to uh, take away our inhibitions and chat to people. Yeah. Certainly that's what I've done for years. Uh, but games can do it instead. <laughs> So I feel like there's actually a, a bit of a health benefit there as well. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And now I'm and thinking it's... about cultures like South Korea where they have lots of gaming bars, but they're not alcohol, they're coffee or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And um, especially as we're seeing different types of, of games coming out, like you were seeing a lot more collaborative and, and different types of gameplay that allow people to work together, which, which also helps. Because if you just, if you have all competitive games, you know, it brings up a, a particular type of personality trait of which I'm quite guilty, uh, which is like uber competitive. Um, so it's nice as well to see that there's even more uh, variety uh, of games and, you know, and most or everyone will be familiar with, with the game Pandemic as a really great example of collaborative gameplay. So I think there's a lot more games um, out there where we can work together, which is which is a really nice way to, to bond. In agreement with you that um, through games and even through in the company that I run, we've had to bring on new team members who have never met in real life. Um, yeah. And yet the, the opportunity to have time in the diary whether you're not talking about work you're actually working together collaboratively um, to solve things to figure things out as virtual games online creates those bonds which you mm. just don't get when you're in the 10 a.m stand-up with the wider team because you don't have those kind of conversations about uh, love life the weather whatever it is so I see as we go forward as more remote working and mm. team members that we may never meet in real life uh, mm. having these opportunities to create cultures and communities with games being that level playing field to start on is so important. And I'm hoping there'll be an explosion in more of these games because I still think the options are a bit limited. Um, mm. So I'm hoping to see more of them over time. I think that's one example where games, true games, playing games can create communities and cultures. Where are you using gamification to create culture? Because that can be a, such a huge part of um, mental health, uh, psychological well-being. Uh, where have you seen the use and application of gamification there? Yeah, absolutely. Culture is a really, really big topic for the clients that we work with. So... And some clients specifically come to us because they're looking to strengthen their culture, looking to shift their culture, but also to kind of bring it to life. So, you know, typically if you think about an organizational values, the way that companies communicate that is it's it's in the handbook. Maybe it's written up on the wall somewhere. Um, and if you ask people, what are the organization's values? You might be like, um, I think it's like respect and integrity and then I can't remember the rest. Well, partly because those are really just boring sort of ones. You should, you know, I think it should be a little bit quirkier when it comes to your organizational values. Um, but also there's no meaningful way for people to interact with those values. Um, and so one of the things that our clients do when they use the Pentacrest platform is that we've got a specific, a couple of different ways that, that those values can come to life. Um, so one of my favorite mechanics, um, we call it a, a congrata in Pentacrest, but it's it's basically a kudos, you know, the peer-to-peer -peer recognition. So um, I can select from the, from a list of, of values and I can, you know, send Ben a congrata and say, hey, thanks for working with, let's, let's say innovation is one of the values. I can say, hey, Ben, thanks for innovating with me. It was so much fun. I'm really, you know, really glad we did that. And so it's making the values visible. It's putting them into an interactive format and one where we're, showing appreciation and thanking each other. So it's a really important way to, 
kind of facilitate that um, those those social norms around around those values. Um, so that that's that's one aspect. Um, and uh, the other way as well is that more and more people are or leaders are, are shifting towards how do we build a really inclusive culture, one that is friendly, one that respects diversity, um, and all of those things, which is um, which is really important. Um, but again, it's I think the, the the key question is how do you how do you do that? How do you bring that to life? How do you make that meaningful and have it as a way that people interact? Um, which is why we've got some of those mechanics in our platform. Now I've got a little detailed question for you on on your favourite game mechanic. There, I think um, the thanking and praising each other is one of the most powerful things there is. My issue with it in businesses generally is how do you encourage people to remember to do it because it's not part of their day to day process in doing their job. Mm. So how have you gone about encouraging people to keep doing it? Yeah, well, I mean, there's a couple of different things. And and um, one, uh, without sort of giving away too much of the, the secret sauce, but one thing that we have is we put a scarcity around it. So you can't just give, you know, a thousand of them because they, they lose meaning. Um, you know, we also don't want to make it forced either because then it feels artificial and it loses the whole the whole point. So we have a limit of five. You can give out five congrata a week. Um, and so it adds a little bit of scarcity to it. And over the years, we've sort of experimented and trialed with different ways of, of, of adding that value factor, whether it's you had to purchase it or different things like that. But we've we found that this is this is working really well. So adding a bit of scarcity adds a bit of meaning. Um, also because it's peer to peer, it's not just top down because then it can feel a little bit like, you know, employee of the month sort of thing, which isn't anything bad necessarily, but, um, having it peer to peer really makes a big difference there. Um, and I forgot what the second, we sort of had a, another line of the question. I was talking about how you remind people to do it. Basically. Ah, yes, yes. Great. Thank you. Um, so the, uh, well, for us, you can, within the platform, you can add specific activities. So you can say, Hey, make sure you give a congrata to someone. Um, our platform also sends, um, notifications and nudges out to people. Um, but generally the way that it works is because the congrata is one of the mechanics that we have in the platform. It, it's just, it feels like a, a cohesive whole. Um, now the other thing we don't have though, is that we don't have points associated with the congrata. So again, it's purely intrinsic. There's, there's no extrinsic things linked to it. Um, again, so that it feels valuable and it feels genuine. Um, and of course you then have a, a reciprocity um, thing where if someone's giving me a congrata, I'm more likely to give somebody else or that person a congrata because we're socially wired for, for reciprocity. We see that in LinkedIn, don't we? With recommendations. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I receive one. It makes me go actually, that reminds me, I want to give one to someone. And yeah. it's quite a big thing if you can get it flowing. And, and there's yeah. some value to it as well. That's one of the nice things about recommendations. So, mm, so when you get absolutely. a congrata, you're getting this personal feedback, but you're saying there's no points attached to it. So what else? Is there anything else about it? Or is it just good enough on its own? Yeah, yeah. It might sound quite simple, but it's one of those simple yet, yet powerful things. Mm. Uh, thank you very much for that one, Kirsten. So that's about creating cultures, which it's really important to have open communication, which I think directly relates to things like mental health, happiness in the workplace. It'd be great to know some other examples where you've really seen it impacting kind of occupational health, uh, work sick leave potentially as well. And where have you been using mm. gamification there? Yeah. So it's um, specifically related to, to health. Um, Sorry, if I take a step, if I take a step back, the way that we work with clients is that we we look at their strategic outcomes um, that they want to achieve. We then break that down into the behavioural components, 
and use the game mechanics to nudge those behaviors. And part of that, we, can, we also then provide lead and lag indicators. So some of the lag indicators is things like turnover, absenteeism, number of sick leave um, days, all of those things. Um, and so what we do is we then, we like we, we work with each organization because every organization is unique or have different sort of you know levers that they want to and different outcomes that they want to achieve. Um, and so then we look at, right, well, if, you know, those, those lag indicators are not where you want them to be, what are some of the behavioral aspects that contribute to that? And then let's, let's nudge those. Um, uh, yeah, whether it's unscheduled leave or, the, or these sorts of things. Um, and so we work with every organization and it, it tends to be unique, um, but also things like if, if I'm feeling more appreciated, if I'm, if I'm feeling like me and my manager are checking in regularly and, and there's a good relationship there and we're tracking on our goals and some of these other things, um, then that will also spill over into that lag indicator of, um, of, of leave. Um, so that's so that's part of it. Um, and the, the other part is then sometimes it's, it's a specific use case. So sometimes our clients will be looking at things like diversity and inclusion um, and in Australia, um, this week we have NADOC week, which is celebrating our, our Indigenous um, heritage. And so very often clients will, will use um, an aspect of our gamification platform to celebrate that, to communicate it, you know, put in events around that and really bring that to the forefront as well. It'd be great to know from your experience within the workplace to encourage employees to kind of uh, create more positive actions and behaviours, whether that's towards the culture, community or their own uh, work, health and well-being. What game mechanics do you find are most effective in the work that you're doing? Mm. So, I mean, one of the things that makes gamification maybe harder than a game, you know, if you're designing a game, you can be very specific about who you're targeting. It's 15 to 29 year old males sitting in the basement. Cool. You know, um, whereas with, and I'm stereotyping here, um, but with, uh, with gamification, you know, you have to, it's a whole organization. So there's a lot more breadth in terms of the, the user type. So it's, it's a little bit more, more challenging, um, but also then you have the opportunity to make a real world different through gamification. So the way that we tend to approach it is we do a, an organizational profile. So looking at um, individuals or the whole organization, understanding their motivational style and, and their mix of player types, and then turning on and off um, and also putting to the forefront the types of mechanics that fit in well with that user type. Um, so for example, when we work with not-for-profits, they tend to be really focused on um, the need for, for purpose and con contributing to something larger than themselves. So if you add in ranks and leaderboards, it, it doesn't really gel, it doesn't really resonate. Um, so instead we'll use mechanics like the collective achievement, user story, so you can really connect in with the people of, of the difference that you've made. Um, and so it's really about fitting in the mechanics to the motivational style of that organization. Uh, and then, you know, flip, on the flip side, we work with some private organizations. They're used to comparing and contrasting and, and competition fires them up. So it's like, cool, well, leaderboards for you, you know? <laughs> so, um, so it's really about understanding uh, your your group of users and uh, and tailoring the mechanics uh, based on that. I really like the game mechanic of user stories that you were talking about there. Mm. How do you get over like the issue of privacy of people not wanting to share or perhaps the regulatory environment not allowing it? Mm. Uh, it's not something we've, we've come up specifically against. Um, uh, typically because we are implementing uh, gamification within a team, um, you know, that it, it doesn't not so much, so much of an issue. Um, so a couple of examples, we, we worked with um, a, a not-for-profit and so they had um, uh, 14 teams kind of spread around, uh, around Canberra and we're wanting to kind of connect them 
make them kind of feel a little bit more connected. So there was a cultural element there. The workplace was under a lot of uh, stress. And so there was um, government funding was cut. So there was a lot more pressure to do a lot more with a lot less. Um, and the CEO really wanted everybody to feel like they're connected, connect back into the purpose of why they were, why they all worked for a not-for-profit in the first place. Um, but also be able to actually tap into the different ideas that people had for how they could be more, more efficient with the things that they had. And so some of the things that we did is um, encourage people to submit ideas for how they can kind of, you know, work in this changed environment and then share stories of, of the clients that they were working with. Um, and because that was all internal, there weren't some of those privacy um, issues didn't come up. Um, with another organization, we worked with a school and so we were looking at changing a culture of, of innovation and having a safe space to fail and those types of things. Um, and one of the, the team objectives was to share more about what they were doing with the community. Um, and so one of the activities um, for people to do was to submit something that could be shared in the newsletter with the whole school, um, as well as then on, on their Facebook group. And so some of those sort of uh, anonymizing things kind of came in part of that. Um, so those will be two of the two of the examples, but we haven't specifically come up against that uh, as an issue. No, that's really cool. I, yeah, I, I think my issue is that I end up working with a lot of apps. So it's about working sure. with lots and lots of people who aren't necessarily connected. But my question actually that inspires me is you're using user stories in these other game mechanics. What sort of results are you seeing from them? Yeah, really, really great ones. Um, and again, it depends on how you measure it. So we, we set up um, an ROI um, model with, with each and every client um, that, that again tracks what are those things that they're wanting to track. So if it's something fuzzy like culture, um, you know, it might just be things like workplace satisfaction. Um, it might be employee net promoter score, you know, these these sorts of things. Um, or it can be um, some more the, the harder lag indicators that, that um, you know, Ben was asking about before about absenteeism and turnover and, and those sorts of things. So so we tend to do um, some some baseline and then some, some measurement um, around those things, but again, it varies depending on the organization. Some, are, you know, want to get really detailed and really specific, and others are happy, you know, for it to be a little bit more more loose. So, it kind of varies by client uh, to client. Talked a little bit earlier, Kirsten, about the importance of uh, different player types within an organization. So, essentially, you need different games for different employees. Um, your example of fourteen teams, and that's still a large number of people within teams, number of teams to support. But what do you do when there's thousands, tens of thousands of employees in an organization? To what level of complexity do you need to make multiple games to make sure the entire employee workforce has got game mechanics built into solutions that engage them, that mean that they create mm. those behaviors and you, get, you create behaviors across the board rather than just for a select group where those game mechanics are most appealing? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, Ben, and it's one, um, you know, we're, we're actively thinking about of how you do that. So from, from the behavior side, the way that we do that is that we uh, work with whether it's HR or, or the um, C-suite exec or whoever's, um, you know, our main client, and we define behaviors that are across the organization, but then we can also define behaviors for specific teams. Um, and the way that PentaQuest works is that um, we've got game masters, um, uh, and, and admins, like, you know, the different managers are actually able to set different behaviors for their organization. So you get that that breadth and that sort of standardization, but you can also get tailored specific to, to, uh, to each team. Um, and, and they've got control to be able to do that at any time. So as the organization changes, as the needs within the teams change, they can, um, you know, the platform can evolve with them. 
Um, so that's from the behavior side. From the game mechanics side, it's it's a little bit more more complex. Um, it's something that we're, that we're actively looking at. So on one end, um, again, it kind of it also depends on on the scope, right? Um, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could all play like you know a massively complex game like World of Warcraft, where we can all choose our own adventure depending on maybe I'm the explorer type, maybe I just want to see what happens if I walk to, to the end of the horizon, or maybe I'm the killer type who just wants to go head to head. Um, so that that would be really cool. Um, that is probably a little while away. Um, and, and it also depends on, on the client's scope. So I haven't yet come across a client who's willing to kind of invest in, in that epic uh, of a game design. Um, so typically the way that we, we approach that challenge is to make sure we've got enough variety in the game mechanics to cater for those different for those different styles so that we do have the leaderboards for for the um, competitors you know we do have badges and achievements for the achiever types we do have um some way for the socializers to you know to speak with one another and, and collaborate so that's sort of a, a middle ground is making sure that there's a breadth of game mechanics to cater for those different types um but i, I definitely think there's there's more to be done um and i actually think that that is the next sort of frontier of where gamification is happening is you know being able to have a lot more of an individualized personalized experience even though we're all still playing the same game that really interests me because i think as peace of i have been have been going through this journey and speaking and interviewing people it's clear that when it comes to things like health rehabilitation the challenge is that often there's a singular game with a very clear game mechanic for a very certain player type yes now to get mass adoption of a certain let's say one game one health game Mm -hmm. The only way that's going to work for mass adoption, well, it needs two things. One, it has to be big enough to have the notoriety, to be visible enough to people who wouldn't ever think about using it, uh, mm. to somehow see it, whether that's through a promotion, it's in a public health document, is a, is a health charity recommending it. So it has to be big enough that one of those organizations will um, promote and recommend it. But then mm. if it's really going to work within that singular solution, has to be multiple game mechanics to appeal to those multiple player types. Mm. So what I'm wondering now is how do we design that kind of thing? Um, yeah. This is what we're trying to figure out on these podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> Where are the solutions coming from here? And what, what you've just mentioned, Kirsten, really resonated with me is that designing health behavior related games that can appeal to multiple player types may be the mm. way forward. Is it a screening mm. process we need to have when people sign up and we almost try to work out their personality and player type at the same time? Mm. And then is it almost a real-time dynamic system, which means that they then engage in the game at the level and with mechanics that are both most appeal to them? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think I think that's that's definitely you know the the, the path to to exploring this further is is first doing a doing a bit of a, a, a you know a quick analysis of, of their of their personality type. Um, that that would be really cool. It obviously it takes a bit more um, design and engineering to make that happen. Um, so I think a, a sort of micro step before that might even just be having people be able to customize their own dashboard. So if I'm going to see the leaderboard, I can put that up front and center. If I if I hate leaderboards freaking shut that down, um, you know, and I want to see the, the newsfeed or something instead. So um, just being able for people to kind of move around and customize their own dashboard and kind of hide and, and show and, and sort of, you know, raise higher up or not the types of mechanics that they appeal to them. Um, but that's, I mean, that's the sort of just a, like a little step along the way, um, because I think ultimately where we want to go is that is that really deep personalization based on my, my preferences, whether they're inputted or whether the system learns them or, you know, things like that. that, that and, um makes me wonder, do you use avatars at all as a game mechanic? Because one thing you could potentially do is have the different game mechanics linked to a particular avatar. So when I choose one and I log in, 
I'm choosing one that represents the way I play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And like I said, I'm uh, also very much thinking about that. Um, to date, we haven't really used avatars that I personally love avatars. I love the ownership. I love the, you know, the customization. I just go nuts for it. Um, but so far, we haven't really used that within PentaQuest. And that's mainly just because of the, the clients. Um, they're kind of like, oh, avatars is a bit too playful. Let's just have people's, you know, professional bio shots or whatever. Um, but I, I think, you know, the tide is changing. I think, more, like I said, more and more people are becoming open to it. So it's, it's something we're, we're actively exploring at the moment because there's just so much, um, you know, there's so much there, I think, when it comes to motivation. The, the other thing when it comes to having this, you know, how do we have, you know, one one health game to rule them all um, is, is about, uh, I suppose, players taking ownership over their own health journey. Um, and there's some, some great examples of that. So, you know, Superbetter is a really good example. Even Habitica, they allow the user to kind of set their own goal, set their own activities and even set their own rewards. And so that that might also be part of the solution. So even even if the game mechanics in, in those instances are, are preset. There's a lot of individual choice and ownership and autonomy over how I'm setting up my, my own success and my own goals. So that could be part of the, the answer as well. One of the uh, interesting things about player types, I mean, I've noticed you've, you've used Bartle's terminology, you've also used NJ's hexad types. What frameworks do you tend to like using? But also, I think my real question is, how much effort do you put into assessing the audience at a client? Or do you just assume they're gonna fit within these? Uh, yeah, we tend to use um, uh, Bartle's player types. Um, uh, you know, there's, there's other ones out there and, and there's some criticism about is it too simplistic? Is it just for video games and these sorts of things? Um, we, we tend to use it for its simplicity and particularly when we explain it to clients as well, it's just sort of short, sharp, simple. Um, we, we've also created our own model of, of seven motivations um, so that um, we, we use that then to assess where, like which one of those two out of the seven motivations do, do most people fall into. Um, in terms of how much we use it, when it comes to um, clients using um, our, our platform, um, we've, we've got those things baked in. So, we, so in those instances, we don't tend to spend too much time doing that. When we're designing um, bespoke gamification designs or builds, then we'll spend more time um, evaluating that. But again, that kind of varies from client to client. It might just be getting the, the working group or, or the, the, the group with us and having, having them as a proxy to go, right, okay, let's, let's work through this model from, from, from your experience and your knowledge of, of your staff or your team or the users, which one, which one is that? Um, so that tends to be probably um, a majority um, in, in that level. But sometimes we've also gone, you know, really deep into it, which is weeks and weeks and months and months of analysis and surveys and interviews and things like that. But again, kind of depends on, on the scope and not all clients want to kind of dive into it that deeply and are satisfied with a more um, sort of uh, light version, if you will. Kirsten, it'd be great to know from your experience and your understanding of what you've seen working in organizations, what do you think are the ways that we could take that knowledge and apply it to public health interventions, apply it to health service interventions, whether that's to support um, healthcare professionals uh, to be healthier, better, in a greater, better mindset so they feel they can support more um, citizens or the citizens themselves to create healthier behaviors? That's a really interesting question. I suppose they're sort of thinking of, of the question you had before about, you know, would there be like one health gamification um, experience? And in some ways, it's good to have specific games for specific things. 
Um, but if you really wanted to make that systemic level change, you need people connected in, into one system. Um, so in, in my TED talk, I talk about four orders of gamification in terms of complexity of, are we shifting an individual's behavior in a moment? Are we shifting an individual's behavior over a period of time? Are we shifting the behavior of a team or are we shifting the behavior of a large system, whether it's a whole nation or, you know, even, even the whole world. So in those, in that sort of level order of complexity, you do need to have something that is a lot more connected um sort of without having kind of thought about this uh in too much detail because it's, it's not really the space i work in but you know wouldn't it be cool if if i as an individual can can be playing this game if when, whenever i visit a, a health practitioner that can also be included like i think of things like uh like physios and you know how, how notoriously bad people are at doing their physio regime you know I like that might be a really interesting thing uh you know whether you can connect in you know the, the vitamins i take every day and these sorts of things um yeah that would be that would be really interesting and I have a random example. I was, um, I was as I was preparing for for this um, um, this conversation, uh, a bit of a random example. I'm just going to throw it out there because this is where maybe you don't connect it up to a system, but maybe it's so specific. Um, so this is a bit of a random health example, and and I was thinking it's also a really good example of how gamification is um, more and more being part of, of the way that we think about health. Now, trigger warnings, it's a very, like, it's a feminine hygiene sort of gamification. Um, so listeners be aware. I came across um, a, a gamified experience for um, a pelvic floor exercises. And so it's called PeriFit. I'm not sure. I assume you, I don't know if you're aware of it, or maybe you are. <laughs> okay, fantastic. For people that aren't, you have a device you insert and by doing the pelvic contractions, there's actually a, a range of mini games that, that you can control. Um, and I just, I'd never, you know, ever thought about something like that. Um, but when you look at it, you're like, actually, it makes sense because pelvic floor exercises are boring as sin, you know, you kind of forget them. But when you turn it into a game, maybe you can. Um, so yeah, a bit of a really interesting example, but also that's a very, very specific use case. And maybe that's best like in its own little package i don't know just sort of kind of throwing it out there interesting example i think you're right in that we're seeing more and more that it's not about apps that can do everything it's apps mm. that can do one thing really really well is what people are seeking and looking for and i think it'll be the same mm. within health behaviors as well there's no point having a capture all health and well-being app that does everything it will need to be much more specific so that it feels for the user it is reflective of their condition and therefore mm. it's like a specialist in that condition and therefore they can mm. trust that there's a credibility evidence around it too. So I think it mm. will have to be lots of options out there um, that the user most feel is appropriate for their health condition or health disorder. I'm wondering now if there's just a way, like an internet of things platform to Ooh. bring them all together. So there's some way to connect them, even though there's much more specialist apps out there. I wonder if there's a, a need for both though. Yeah, because mm. I'm thinking of like uh, one of the speakers at the last conference was Vitality. So an insurance company does lots of different things. They want mm. people's health to be good, but they also need it to be very specific, you know, uh, bespoke to a particular user. So you need that specific exercise or health app, but it needs to be linked into the overall one to give you the, the benefits back. Mm. So maybe that's where it should be. A Strava equivalent, because with Strava, you can connect in all the other devices or whatever activity you're tracking. So something along mm. those lines, but for, for, for health activity, um, mm. gamifi gamification and apps. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Before I forget, I uh, want another question for Kirsten, which was Ben said he puts time aside for his staff to play games and get, you know, like bring them on board. 
And this is one of the things I find really interesting in companies is they like the idea of the gamification, but how supportive are they of giving time for their staff to actually do it? What is your experience of this, Kirsten? How do you get around it? How do you encourage them to do it? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think when it comes to team days and things, you know, they're like, oh, yeah, we'll give it an hour or two or, you know, whatever. That's that's kind of fine. Um, because we tend to focus on workplace behaviours and nudging those, um, the clients we speak with understand that the behaviour we're nudging directly serves a business purpose and so that tends to be fine we do sometimes get the statement well i don't want it to be too fun because we want them to be you know doing work not playing games and you're like but they're playing the game of work so kind of i don't know <laughs> but again we've had that comment less in the sort of you know post-covid or whatever you want to call it um sort of uh, world part of it um and i think sometimes like particularly if the uh, experience is quite playful where it can be misconstrued as playing a game at work which equals bad then i think if the game um as well, clients kind of say, as long as the game doesn't demand too much time, like if there's like, if there's a, a limit, I suppose, to how much they can play it, that then, then it seems to be fine. So, um, but again, it kind of depends if it's content or if it's behavior. Again, if it's behavior, they're behaviors that are like sanctions and, and set up by the client we're working with and they're directly, they're, they're doing your work. Maybe they're just some of the above and beyond type of behaviors. And if it's content, um, it tends to be if, if there's a limit to it, but it's not something where I as a player can go, can go down, a, down a rabbit hole, which again is kind of a funny question because when we're talking about gamifying work, like it, it is all work, um, but it does come up as an objection or a question from, from clients occasionally. There's something interesting there about limiting it. It reminds me of a case study mm. of a game that was played for Santander Bank in Poland, uh, which was, it was basically like a Sims type game linked to key performance indicators. So if, over-the-counter sales but what they did that was really interesting i thought was scarcity you were only allowed to play for 10 minutes every other day or oh. five minutes more if you actually hit your kpis and they actually got like 98 <laughs> percent cool. of the staff into it and playing it and yes. it was that scarcity thing and i was thinking like you've yeah. got a scarcity thing with your congrata is yes. there more to it we can use or, or do you use that and you hadn't realized it yeah yeah no no that's really interesting yeah i, I like that as an idea great to know uh what your favorite games are and are there any particular mechanics within those games that really draw you in? My my favourite game at the moment is is Dungeons and Dragons. Um, the I know Uber Nerd Alert, but you know love it. And the reason is because it's so interactive and unpredictable. Um, because you've got game rules, and you know that um, for anyone that's that's played, it's you know it's it's relatively complex. There's a lot of different things that 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 go on. Um, but I just love that everybody can kind of bring their individual flair, and even even the dungeon master doesn't know where the game is going. You know, the dungeon master might set up the environment, might, might set up a couple of characters, and then it's like over to you. And it's you know it's you as a team creating this interactive story. And I just um, there's just something really amazing and fascinating about that so yeah dungeons and dragons and that's because it's so unpredictable i like so have you been playing it online and do you find that works well yeah absolutely so um, i've been playing dungeons and dragons for probably about five or six years um and our party was all based in canberra so we, we would play it in person and then one of our members moved to melbourne the other one moved to singapore so we had to go online and we did that even before it was cool and so yeah so we we, we all play online even though a few of us are still in the same city we still play online um, and we actually find that playing it online has enabled us to play more regularly so rather than being like oh you're going to come over we've got to drive and eat dinner and you know got to clean the house and all this stuff now we just do it we're able to do it a lot easier because we have a, a digital tool so and um, there's really great tools out there so you know dnd beyond and roll 20 and, and we just we just use those so um it's working really well and 
but I have recently um, added a bit more analogness to it in that, you know, we've got all our character sheets and stuff online, but now I've got like a really cool looking journal and I'm like taking notes and I'm drawing and I've, I've actually got bought like physical spell cards so I can have a bit of tacticalness as well as the, the digital side. Okay, that's interesting. And I was just wondering about the trust element. Do you, do you let each other just roll a D20 and say, yeah, yeah, it's a 20 I hit? Or <laughs> yeah, I think um, I think as a as a party we have high amount of trust and a really good relationship. Um, so we tend to use it as an app. Um, so both Roll Twenty and D and D Beyond, which actually talk to each other, you can roll in there, which is good for maths reason. I'm not so good at maths, so that's really good. Um, but again, part of me kind of bringing back some of the physical stuff is that, you know I'm, I'll be I'm rolling for the for D twenties where I don't need to do any maths. Um, I'll be using the, the physical side. But yeah, no, we we have high amounts of trust, so that's not an issue. Now I've got two more questions about this. Firstly, um, because I brought my daughter into the D&D world as part of COVID, what edition yeah, are you playing? 5e. <laughs> 5e, okay. Yeah. Secondly, I think is, what have you managed to take from it and use in the motivating of teams? Because I think it's yeah. one of the strongest ones for letting people role play and grow. How have yeah. you used it? Can you? Yeah, yeah, well, you absolutely can. Um, uh, I feel like D&D is sort of down, like, down the spectrum of like embracing playfulness and things. And I, I don't feel like my clients are there yet. Um, uh, for the Pentaquest uh, team day at the end of last year, we, we did um, some D&D and it was actually new to everybody on the team. And so I think, you know, we did a very like gentle intro, but it, it's not it's not everyone's cup of tea because not everyone's comfortable with, with role playing or various amounts of role play. Plus it's, you know, it, it, there's a bit of a learning curve as well. So um Yes, but I am looking at more ways to kind of bring in narrative in, into what we do. Uh, but again, not not driven by, but kind of influenced by client readiness. Um, but I'm excited because I'm I'm sensing there's a, there's a shift so we can actually embrace more playfulness, which I'm really excited about. So I'm just wondering if there's a way to take the the game element of D and D, but apply them to like a health situation. So mm. do I play as a performance athlete who could compete in the Olympics and I have a character sheet around that? And then my day-to-day -day stats from the gamification support that. So I would I love that. Yeah, I love that. And the other fantastic thing, again, which is why I like D&D, &D, is the, the randomness. So how could we add a bit of randomness to it, you know? A bit of chance, a bit of unpredictability as well. D&D, yeah. &D, so I feel very much like an outcast. Uh, it'd be great to know from your final thoughts in terms of where do you see the future of health and gamification going? What do you think the opportunities are? Where do you think the journey's going to lead us in the next five to ten years? Well, I think given the, the sort of increase of the quantified self of devices that are tracking different elements of our health and our behaviour, um, and on top of that, this increase in acceptance and interest in gamification i think there's just so much potential particularly for health i just it just makes so much so much sense so i see a lot more gamification of, of different aspects of health um, coming up. Like I said, you know, even the, the PeriFit example, which I came across recently. So I think we're just going to see more and more of those examples of, of using gamification for, for rehab, for daily behaviors and, and health actions, as well as, you know, be, uh, targeting really specific types of issues or, or challenges. So we're just going to see more and more of it, which I'm really excited about because anything that helps people be healthier in a fun way, like that's winning. So I'm, I'm really excited to see where, where this goes in the next couple of years. It's all about fun and enjoyment because if people enjoy doing it, they'll keep doing it. So that's the way that gamification should be used to create healthy behaviors, completely in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> this has been a brilliant conversation, Kirsten. I think we've got some really interesting things out of it today. And uh, if I have time, I want to go and do half of them. <laughs> 
Yeah, thank you. No, I've, I've really enjoyed it. I think it's it's really fascinating, and I, and I love that. You know, the more that that we as gamification practitioners can come together, throw around ideas, share ideas, um, the more that that we can kind of progress the the industry um, and and the practice of gamification, and the more that we can help. So, thank you so much for this. It's been really great. Brilliant. Thank you for being on the show and speak to Sin Kirsten. Lovely. Thank you.